Hey everybody, I'm Tim Whitaker, along with Rob McMichael and Jordan Renault. This is our podcast, Coffee, Theology, and Jesus. Our purpose for this podcast is to discuss this messy, difficult, and amazing thing we call the Christian faith. As Christians, we are encouraged and challenged constantly to see what the Bible teaches us about who Jesus was and how he lived and how we can better represent his message every day. Join us each episode as we explore how this relationship with Jesus affects everything from politics and religion to relationships and theology. Now that you know a little more about us, let's get into this week's episode. This week, we are starting a series of podcasts dedicated to racism. Honestly, with the events of 2020, we have all been taking a serious look in the mirror and wondering, how can I do better? We all agreed that one way would be to start a series on the topic focusing on racism in the church. Where are we? How did we get here? Is there a path forward? Does the scripture give any insight into the issues we are facing in the U.S. and in the year 2020? We obviously don't have all the answers, but knew we had to start somewhere. Future episodes will feature other guests, but join us for this opening conversation this week. Welcome, everyone, to the Coffee Theology and Jesus podcast. You obviously know that behind the scenes, we've been live for a couple minutes now, but it's great to see everyone. Thank you for joining our live stream. You can tell we've had some recent funding come in because we have a super high quality live stream now. Our logo is there. There's a cute banner around our faces. You can see chats, uh, chat comments in the live stream. So I just want to point out, thank you to our donor, your the anonymous donor, who donated so much money to this podcast that has allowed us to all quit our full-time jobs and uh, do this full-time. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Your, um, yeah. your reward is in heaven. <laughs> Which by all of that, we just mean Rob bought something to mess around with <laughs> and it happened to work out well. <laughs> I love how oh, man. before we went live, Rob's like, yeah, this is the first time you're using this program. Hopefully it goes great. <laughs> and it's like, well, if it doesn't, though, this is kind of a big podcast that we're hopefully doing tonight. So if it doesn't go well, <laughs> it's just a huge fail. So exactly. Um, but anyway, thank you, everyone, so much for tuning in. This is going to be a great episode. Um, if you don't mind sharing this um, live stream would be so helpful. Our podcast is just three of us talking about stuff, theology, Jesus, coffee, all the good stuff. So if you can share tonight's episode, that'd be great. We think this is a very important topic, especially because the church, I think, is at a crossroads in a lot of ways in our culture right now. And this is important stuff. So um, we're going to hop into it in just a few minutes here. So I'm going to do what all those podcasts um, like podcasters do where they have a really crazy topic, but they take like 30 minutes to get into it. And they fill the mm. first 30 with just like banter. So I figured we could just make up banter for the first 30 minutes and, uh, you know, just stonewall. You guys down for that? Yeah. I'm great. I'm great. really good at improv. <laughs> improv the is The only thing pain. I did want to say is that since our last, our last podcast, I did have a baby. Well, my wife had a baby. I was there for it. Actually, bo both of us did. <laughs> That's both true. I love how yeah, Rob, I forgot. <laughs> I love how Tim just jumped in there and claimed that thing. Well, like, it was, actually, it was both his of first. You guys. It was my fourth, yeah. so I'll give it to him. Oh, okay, okay, Rob, my bad. It, that's true. It was my first, and um, it was amazing. By the way, Rob, quick side note: our so your podcast stream is set up correctly, except it says in the corner 
The Coffee Theology and Jesus podcast is live now playing Kingdom Hearts. I know. I had to, <laughs> I had to select a video game. I don't know why. Oh, uh, because it's like a streaming uh, software? Yes. That is a, hilarious. That's hilarious. So I was like, well, this is relevant. I'll play Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> that, <laughs> that is funny. So side note. But yes, um, I did have a child. We, we, I'm a dad now. I've hit that new dad life. And it's it's been great. So um, yeah. So congrats, Rob, to you. Our children are a day apart, literally one day apart, which is crazy. The the so the craziest thing you could tell I'm an engineer because these are the things that excite me. So we now have four children, and Julie and I. Every single one of us was born on a prime number. <laughs> Rob, wow. I'm going to be honest with you here. Neither Tim or I know what that means. <laughs> So, so a prime. Just, <laughs> I didn't want to say it. <laughs> a prime number is only divisible by one and itself. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So one, yeah, yeah, totally. one two, three, Totes. five, seven, eleven, thirteen, seventeen, nineteen. You know. Right, the primes. The prime. This numbers. is my child, everyone. <laughs> numbers. Aww, and your wife. And, and yeah, wife. and Sarah. And my baby boy. Yeah. There he is. So she she is not here. your child. That's important. This is how loud my baby is all the time. <laughs> <laughs> That's literally him all the time. He's such a quiet baby. Perfect. Yeah. All right, little baby. We gotta solve the world's problems tonight. So anyway, so yeah, I'm a father now, which is crazy. And it's true, our baby is really quiet. I'm thanking our lucky stars for that. He doesn't cry at all. He's easily soothed. So I don't know if that means kid number two will be even will be horrible. But number one, so far, we're rolling. Sweet. I mean, it always sounds it, good. That's as good as it gets. <laughs> I've been sleeping. Sarah's sleeping pretty much like besides to feed him. She's sleeping through the night, no problem. So we're very happy. And I'm settling into dad life, which is <laughs> a crazy thing to be a dad. But it's here. So and birth is insane. Wow. Yes. <laughs> it honestly, in all seriousness, when they say it's a miracle, I totally get it. It is a freaking miracle when a baby just like comes out. You're like, and oh my gosh, there's I, a baby, fully foreign baby. And the, the thing that still amazes me every single time, it's like this was inside of you for nine months. It comes out and totally. and it works. It just That's works. The first thing I thought. I'm like, it has skin, it has eyeballs, it has a mouth, it's breathing. I don't understand how this is happening. Like, it's just alive. Yeah. There were four people in the room, and now there are five. How does that happen? But um, yeah, it was it was great. So, baby, everyone's healthy, which is wonderful. We're thanking God for it, um, and we're just enjoying this new adventure that we're hopping into. So, um, listen, everyone. On that note, again, thank you for joining. Um, if you have any questions or comments, I know we are on a slight lag, about thirty seconds or so. But we'd love to hear them in the chat box. Like I said, if you can share this episode, that would be so helpful for us just to get the word out of what we're doing. Um, we do it as often as we can, but this is a labor of love. And we feel that these topics, the church, uh, tonight's topic, racism, theology, are so important to the Christian life that um, as Christ followers, we are obligated to do our best to understand the scriptures as best as we can and to live it out as faithfully as possible. So I just want to say thank you for tuning in. So we're going to hop into tonight's episode. This is definitely a big one. We are talking about racism in the church. One thing I want to say off the bat is, you know, Robin Jordan, we were talking about this um, in our group chat and we were kind of saying how there's really 
so many layers to this onion right now in our culture. You know, there are so many different um, aspects and avenues and different nuances that we can talk about tonight. I mean, we could talk about police brutality. We could talk about the political circus that we have. We can talk about all of these different things. Ultimately, though, we decided that for our podcast, which really focuses on the Christian life and how it interacts with culture and the church, we want to keep as focused as we can to church and racism. Um, that being said, Robin Jordan, I, you guys know me. I can kind of veer off a little bit, so you have full permission to rein me back in. However, I do think that some of these other topics do kind of intersect, especially the political side. It's just a fact of, you know, when we talk about the history of the church and racism and how they kind of intersect, we're inevitably going to hit some of that stuff. But we want to keep this as focused as possible because ultimately, as Christ followers, we do believe that the church is the hope of the world. And we do believe that we are called to um, love the church. And sometimes loving the church is just being honest about things that we've done that have not been right in the past. That's not a political statement. That's not a liberal thing. It's not a conservative thing. It's just a thing that we have to address. And if it falls into political categories, that isn't in our control. You know, unfortunately, politics have just really grabbed certain topics. And if you say certain buzzwords, people just think, oh, you must be liberal. You must be Republican or conservative. So, you know, we can't really avoid some of that talk, but I'm not going to mince words. I know you guys aren't going to mince words. And um, I guess I, I think we can go from there. But I want to say that from the beginning, that we really want to focus in on the church and racism. I think that's fair. Sounds good. Agreed. Cool. Um, well, I guess I can start off. Um, you know, obviously, my my Facebook has been something, <laughs> and I've been pretty active on it. And it's been interesting for me because I know, Rob, you asked me like the other day, like, so like what kind of, you know, it seems like something kind of snapped with you, Tim, where you were maybe a little more outspoken in the past about certain things, but you seem really focused on this, you know, um, racism issue that has really popped its head up and it's at the forefront of our culture. And I think that's a fair point. And I think I told you guys this and I'll tell our listeners as well, that for me, it was really the beginning of a shift happening for me was seeing the Ahmad Arbery video being like, wow, like this is a really upsetting video. And then kind of discovering more of the context behind it and just being like, wow, you know, I, I have friends. I have friends who are black Americans who have given me stories about people looking at them weird or, you know, police pulling them over for no reason. And so I've always believed that. But then seeing that for me, that video particularly of Ahmad really fighting for his life, as we know now, it just was like a moment of, of like, whoa, like that I have never in my life and a lot of my friends who are white in their life have never come even close to having anything remotely close happen to them like that, where they were out for a jog or they were out in a neighborhood that, that, that they don't live in and they were hunted down, you know? And so that was the beginning of me really thinking about that. And then when the Breonna Taylor case came out about the no-knock warrant that we know now really was botched, I mean, there's no way around it. There were, she has no criminal activity. Her boyfriend has no criminal activity. And the, the parcels that they thought were being sent to her had no drugs in them at all. And she was shot to death because, you know, the story of um, a no-knock warrant um, and the cops coming in and then her licensed carry hold um, gun owning boyfriend defended his property and shot because he thought they were intruders and they end up killing Breonna. And then seeing finally with George Floyd, for me, it was just kind of like a cascading thing of like, oh my gosh, these are three different black Americans in three different situations that were all, in my opinion, really murdered. And I think a lot of people agree. 
were murdered. And as the church, I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to realize that something is happening here. I have to be aware, even if I don't see it um, personally, even, even if I haven't experienced it personally, I owe it to my brothers and sisters who are black Americans who have been telling me in person and over social media that, hey, something is wrong with how we're treated as a minority group, I have to start believing them and taking it more seriously. And that's kind of what got me down this path of really posting more often. Um, I've had several people, people in my local church, friends of mine who aren't in my church, message me just saying, hey, I really appreciate you saying that. Please keep speaking up. And that's kind of fueled me to kind of keep going. Um, and it's also been discouraging, obviously, to see some of the comments that happen and just some of the other perspective. And I wish I can say I don't understand it, but I do because I grew up very much that way. Um, but again, I have to think about what is the Christian mandate um, over anything. And the Christian mandate is to walk humbly, is to be slow to speak, quick to listen, and to love your neighbor well. So I feel like, you know, and I, I know a lot of us, I know Robin Jordan, I know you guys do as well, that we owe it to our black neighbors <laughs> to take this issue more seriously because I don't think that they're lying, right? And so that's kind of my opening thesis, I guess, of kind of where I've been on this journey and how I've kind of viewed this issue and why I think it's so important ultimately. Yeah, I, I certainly am am with you there, Tim. Like I'm I'll I'll boldly say I'm not as um vocal about things. I'm not as vocal about most things. I mean, <laughs> look through my Facebook, you'll you'll see I'm not very active on social media. Um yeah, we have a podcast, but uh, I do think this is one of those things where it it does the onus is on us to at least personally I, and I've taken it as a personal challenge to say you know what in the past maybe I have brushed things off that I shouldn't have maybe I have had mentalities or ways of thinking that I shouldn't have especially as a Christian um, not not just as a human being because I think this is a, a human being issue as well but but certainly as a christian and you know reading through ephesians again and looking at like all of these other scriptures looking at how jesus interacted with the gentiles versus the jews and and how he just interacted with everyone it it kind of gave me a renewed sense of you know what this this is a, a real gospel issue at its core and it, I think it is something that we need to be honest and open about that we have to start discussing. And for me, I, maybe I'm not vocal on Facebook or social media or anything, but it is something where we should be having these conversations in our local churches with people that we do interact with. And um, so we hope that this podcast is used as a fuel for that um, to definitely get the church up and moving and in your local church and your local communities to do something even if it's just learning listening growing and being there for people that need it yeah i'm kind of in the same boat as you rob a little bit with as far as not uh generally not being very vocal on social media and stuff um <laughs> And if I do, it's usually like for some random reason or like, <laughs> oh, here's a contest you can enter, something stupid like that, not for important things. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's kind of where I'm at too, is just feeling like mm. I want to be having more conversation. Well, I don't know if that's me oh. or if that is Rob. 
or oh. Jordan. We can still hear you, Let's Tim. <laughs> uh oh. Tim is frozen. Go ahead, Jordan. We'll we'll keep going until he gets. <laughs> we'll back. keep going. <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, just that I want to be having more of these conversations with people and, um, you know, I have family members I should be having these conversations with. You're back. (laughs) I can't hear anyone. He's not back. There we go. Sorry. Uh, I'm back. (laughs) My bad. (laughs) I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it was all you. (laughs) Yeah. Cause him and I kept talking the whole time. I I was like, Uh, is this me or it's probably me. That's all right. I'll start over. I didn't want to hear what Jordan had to say. So like, uh, Jordan, I can't hear you. (laughs) That's okay. I blocked you on Facebook. Um, I'm kidding, but I'm not kidding. Probably true. Um, No, no. Um, Here's what I'm saying is just that I feel like it's hard for me sometimes to have conversations when I guess I, I just don't know what to say or I don't know what questions to ask. And this whole thing has been so crazy, just kind of coming from every angle. And even in, even in the conversations or there's like commentary on the conversations. It's like, what questions should I ask? No, don't ask these questions. Ask these questions. No, don't ask those questions. Those questions aren't important and it's going to lead you down the wrong way. And I just feel like it's been better for me to stay away from all of the noise of that, even though some of it has been really good and really important um, as far as stuff on social media goes. Um, and to be able to just have like some real conversations that aren't colored by, um, you know, what I saw in some article somewhere about how I should have this conversation, you know, um, being able to have conversations that are just open and honest and not, um, and that are like graceful, you know, and, and allowing people to kind of ask questions and it's, it's been good. I mean, it's been cool to kind of have some of those conversations and, um, you know, talk to people that I go to church with or people that I work with. Um, but it's been tough for me to be on social media lately. I'll, I'll leave it with that. (laughs) Well, I mean, social media is like its own world at this point. And yeah, it's it's a real hodgepodge. I mean, the, the reality is, and we all know this, we're not we don't have an information problem. We have a truth problem. We really don't know how to sort like what the reality of things happening is true. Like, for example, the NASCAR situation that happened recently. Right. They found a noose in you know Bubba's garage. Turned out it's been there for like three years and it's not a noose. You know, it's like a rope that had a knot on it. And so, you know, but again, people rush to that judgment, but you also understand why, because for every one of those, like 10 of those stories are true. That's the problem. And then what happens is the one or two stories that aren't true become the new point by some people in the conversation of like, see, like it's, we knew it wasn't real. Here's, here's the one evidence we have of the, you know, the, the two or three times that, that someone lied about a racist crime or, you know, a race-based crime happening to them. Um, and it's like, okay, but that's still not like, taking away from the statistics that we have and all these other stories of people who have, you know, actual proof. And now thanks to video that cops have, we can see their videos and there's tons of them. And it just Mm -hmm. seems like there's one side and I'm talking more politically at this point, but there's one side that wants to use that to get more power. Like, yeah, you're right. Like the cops stink, like vote for us, but they don't really change anything. Then you have this other side. That's like, Oh, that's just like socialism. That's mob mentality. That's 
that's just I mean, America is great for everyone. Like racism doesn't exist here. You know, like, let's just bury our heads in the sand. And it's like, wow, is anyone trying to have the real conversation? And the reality is, I think I think a significant portion of people who are meeting about this in person or who are friends on social media, not just not just, you know, like uh, mortal bantering enemies are actually understand that there is nuance, you know, and it's tough when two very big extremes talk for so many people, which we really run into. Mm. Um, But the reality is, is that in the church specifically, I feel like I'm on one side, I'm super pumped up because I feel like a lot of evangelicals who normally wouldn't say much are really speaking out. I mean, my pastor, who's a great guy, who is not that kind of person to speak out on like more social issues. And when it comes to race, did a whole sermon on it. He marched with us at our protest in our town. I'm like, wow, like I really appreciate. And, you know, he did, he, he did a live stream where he pretty much repented on air of like what, what that he's sorry for being part of that system. And I'm like, wow, this is amazing. Here's just like, you know, 65 year old white guy, pastor, just like repenting and saying, we want to do better and we want to walk humbly, you know? And I'm like, this is amazing. So on one side, I'm like really pumped up. And I feel like a lot of younger evangelicals as well are kind of like, I don't care if this puts me in a different political group by my critics, because it's not even about that. This needs to be talked about. We have to stand up for this issue. So I'm really excited about that. On the other side, I'm so discouraged because there are a lot of people um, who just seem like if we acknowledge that systemic racism is a thing, somehow we're acknowledging defeat. You know, if we acknowledge that, yeah, we still have a long way to go in terms of how we deal with minority, especially black Americans. Somehow we're admitting that like personally as a human, I am just a terrible human who sucks and like shouldn't even live. And there's like, there's very much that connection with a lot of people who think like, well, I'm, I'm not a bad white person. I'm not racist. And it's like, listen, I, I know that, but prove that by becoming an ally (laughs) and saying, I want to learn maybe things that I've, and listen, I'm talking to myself here. I'm not talking to anyone else but myself. I've had to learn just certain wirings that I've picked up on from no one, no one specifically just picked up on that. I didn't even realize to some people have a whole different meaning to some people have a whole different connotation. And so regardless if I see that or not, doesn't matter because the gospel compels me to, to want to seek the good, right? I mean, what does the Bible say? The Bible says, I'm probably taking this out of context a little bit, but I think the point <laughs> state, you know, name I want to preface, you know, if someone offends you, go to that brother. I think that's a really fair thing. Well, if someone goes to you and says, listen, like, I'm offended by this, we owe it to them to at least listen and work it out instead of just, you know, close our ears and go, no, I'm, I'm not for social justice. That's liberal talk, you know, and it just like politicize it automatically. We owe it to them to listen, to have the conversation, to understand their perspective. So, uh, you know, it is good in a lot of ways. I think that the evangelical church is starting to, to make this shift, but there's still work to do because I don't think a lot of, and I'm again, talking to myself here, a lot of us realize just how problematic some of our American Protestant history in the 20th, early 20th century and early uh, late 19th century has been that has been complicit in some of these systems that black Americans are still feeling the repercussions of now. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so I did a little bit of digging and um, there's a really good book I recommend to anyone watching this. It's um, by Jamar Tisby called The Color of Compromise. Lecrae did the forward. So we all know he's legit. He's great. 
He's a Christian author. It's a very big picture overview. The author is very transparent up front. Um, it's a great read for anyone who wants to know more about the perspective of people who you just don't, you know, you haven't had the same perspective on. And I did some digging on some of the stuff you said, and a lot of it I found to be really accurate. So two things I want to mention that should make us really think and pause for a second. Number one, the KKK, not the first uprising in 1865, but in the 19th, in the early 20th century, the KKK had like a re-uprising. And many of those people were Protestant ministers who would go to a Klan rally and preach against, you know, racism and, and preach nationalism and white pride and then go and, and, um, and then preach on Sunday morning. And that's just a reality. I mean, that's just history. And that's a very big thing that we need to re you know, reckon with, that our Protestant faith, not every single Protestant, but many of them uh, were part of being complicit in pushing a very racist agenda through the KKK. And also, and I hate to tell you guys this, but also a very big anti-immigration, very pro, you know, keep our culture, keep our borders agenda. So am I, am I saying that the conservative party is a KKK party? No, but I'm saying when you start reading history, you start picking up on little things that you're like, oh, I've heard that line used, you know, by someone in politics the other day. I don't know if they know where some of that rhetoric has come from, but when you trace it back, that's just the reality. We have to be at least at least aware of where we're getting this. So there definitely were good Protestants uh, during that time that were fighting against the KKK for sure. But at its peak in 1920, the KKK had 4 million members in the U.S. That's a big group of people. I mean, that's a lot of people that were participating in rallies and, and holding on to that mindset. So that's one thing that we have, to, we have to be aware of. Whether it makes us uncomfortable or not, it doesn't matter. It's just a reality that, reality that we have to grapple with. The other one that I think for me hits a little bit closer to home is that um, we have to be aware of some of this, like, um, where we get some of our moral majority um, history. Because the reality is Jerry Falwell, who was the founder of the moral majority, for those of you who don't know what the moral majority is, it was a conservative group that kind of rose up in the late 70s, early 80s, really got really big in like the mid 80s before it, it, um, it broke up. But it was very big on pushing, you know, Christian family values, which really translated to, you know, um, um, fighting against LGBTQ issues, fighting against abortion um, and holding a more conservative platform at the time. A lot of people think that the um, that the moral majority was founded really over abortion, but the, what got Jerry Falwell to even get political was really fighting against desegregation. I mean, there are sermons that you can look up by Falwell, and I have a few quotes I'll read here in a minute, where he is very much anti-desegregation. In fact, where we get the idea of the private school started from white flights, started from white people leaving the schools when they became segregated and starting their own private institutions where they can practice their religion freely, sound familiar, and not be oppressed by a tyrannical government. And that's all talking points that you can trace back to that time frame. And so it's, it's, oh, it's important for us to know that because I wasn't taught that as a kid. And I'm not saying that I had to grow up learning how bad all Christians were, that isn't the point, but we at least have to be willing to acknowledge that this is part of our history and be willing to say, you know what, guys, like for a long time, we were kind of on the wrong side of this. Bob Jones University as well, I'll say, um, actually took the, the IRS to the Supreme Court because the IRS was going to take away their tax exemption status as a nonprofit because they wouldn't allow interracial dating on their colleges because they believe that the races should be separate. And when the IRS went to go sue them or um, went to say, listen, we're going to take away your, your federal funding, 
the Bob Jones took them to the U.S. Supreme Court, citing the First Amendment, saying this is a religious issue and this is why we don't believe in this. And Jerry Falwell, even though they kind of fought, kind of was for that mentality. So we don't know that stuff till we know it. But when you hear about it, you're kind of like, well, I mean, that kind of changes how I view some of this stuff because you're always kind of taught. And again, I'm not saying it's intentional, but you're kind of taught that as Protestant Christians, we know truth. We're on the right side of things. Like we have the best interpretation of scripture. We've always practiced it consistently, you know, Martin Luther all the way through now, but we kind of lost our way. I'm sure many times, but specifically in those years where we were really, I think on the wrong side of some of those issues. Um, really quick, I just want to read one or two of these quotes from Jerry Falwell, just so we can understand what he was really advocating for. And I have a website, I can send you guys the link. So um, I'm just quoting here this article from thenation.com, which is an archive of his sermon. It says, in 1964, um, Jerry Falwell said in a sermon, quote, ministers and marchers, um, the sincerity and intentions of some civil rights leaders, such as Dr. Martin Luther King, Mr. James Farmer and others who are known to have left-wing associations, it is very obvious that they are communists and as they do all parts of the world are taking advantage of a tense situation in our land and are exploiting every incident to bring about violence and bloodshed. Now, why do I say that quote particular? Because that's a very common um, attack, I'll say, used by people who are fighting racial injustice now as being labeled left, left-wing, socialist, communist. So the rhetoric hasn't really shifted. It's still the same talking points, even as we see here in the early 60s and 70s. So I just wanted to bring that up because I think it's important for us to understand that we have to acknowledge our own history before we can repent and say, listen, that wasn't right. We're not, we're not for that. And we want to be able to move towards healing. End of rant. <laughs> All right. Thanks for joining, guys. Uh, we'll catch you next time. This has been Rants with Tim. <laughs> it's going to be our new uh, side podcast. No, the whole, <laughs> the whole history thing is so interesting to me. I mean, I've always been a fan of history. Um, but even just thinking about, like, the history I was taught in school, um, and it certainly had a sort of like we've done it we've defeated this look what the christians have done sort of uh approach to it and i mean i was homeschooled it was definitely like same religious uh you know pretty uh not quite fundamentalist i would say but get, but getting there sort of uh curriculum and stuff but I mean, there's a lot of things even, I mean, I read a book about Abraham Lincoln a few years back called Team of Rivals, which is awesome. Super long. If you're interested in like him as a person though, um, it's what they made that movie that came out with uh, Daniel Day-Lewis and stuff was based uh, on that book. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, yeah, it talks about really who he was as a person and kind of his background and some of the stuff um, about him. I mean, definitely not a bad person or anything, but definitely not the person that you're taught in certain uh, homeschooled circles <laughs> that he was some like, you know, crazy uh, Christian champion. And that's what kind of uh, fed and, and uh, fueled all of his uh, everything he did, which was great. I mean, he, the guy didn't believe in heaven. <laughs> he didn't believe in, you know, there's a, there's a lot of things that you would look at like his theology maybe and be like, eh, I so don't like know. A Rob, I, like, like, like a Rob, like a Rob Bell, Bell type. Bell. <laughs> yeah, maybe. 
Um, <laughs> no, but it just got me thinking. Jokes. Yeah, it got me thinking just about like kind of this mentality that you're taught growing up and and in how you look at history and where we've come from. And that definitely colors, it definitely um, influences how you think about things now because having that attitude of like, oh, we're done with that. You know, that's something that happened in the 1800s with the Civil War and then mm -hmm. in, you know, the 60s with the Civil Rights Movement and now we're done. Um, and obviously that's not the case. Um, it continues and in the church even, I think specifically in the church, it's easy to sort of have that mentality about it. Um, totally. When you claim, totally. yeah, when you claim those victories, I guess, in, in the past, and yes, they were, you know, there were great steps from, you know, the depths uh, to which we were, you know, in the early 1800s as a country, they were, they were good things that happened to come out of that, but um, That's a good point, though, Jordan. Like, I don't real, I don't know if people realize how depraved we really were as a nation at one point. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. um, you know, you read about, you know, even some of the um, actual stories of real lynchings and what they did to people and yeah. how it was accepted. You know, and they, I mean, dude, they no mercy on women, on pregnant women. Some one story I read, I'm not going to say now, literally made me cry. I'm in the car listening to it, just bawling because it's just so. It's, I mean, it, it's like, it's, it's Nazi Germany level type torture we're talking about here. Um, you know, how they viewed, um, you know, slaves when they brought them over, how they treated them. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, I don't know if we realize, you know, people, especially in Christian circles, like to use the word depravity, how man is totally depraved. There's your totally depraved. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's, there it is. And, yeah. and those, those systems don't just get, a race in a few generations. They don't just, you know, the, because the mindset lives longer. That's what gets passed mm -hmm. down is, is certain mindsets. And I mean, yeah, have we made progress? Of course we have, you know, we're not enslaving black people physically. Right. So yeah, we've definitely made progress, but there's still progress to make. And I think what happens is people just think, well, no, it's like you said, it's behind us. Nothing to say. It's like, um, you know, this Jerry Falwell stuff is like the 80s. I mean, that, that's not that far. Right. I was born in the 80s. That's my generation. <laughs> we have we have stories and statistics from things in the early 2000s, from 2010, that show, you know, just racial bias and discrimination happening. And so this is still happening in our lifetime. It just has adapted. And maybe it's a little more subtle now. Maybe we don't see it. It's kind of went underground. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that it still doesn't exist. That's just the bottom line. So yeah. I agree, Jordan, with you. Like when you, and again, I, I want to emphasize, I am no expert. I just read a few books and read some articles and like <laughs> I continue to dig. So this is not like hard to find. You can find very accessible books that walk you through with their sources and the scholars, <laughs> the history of where we've been as a country and mm -hmm. just you know, how, how evil and this, the, 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 really the evil that we've committed against a whole people group, a whole race of people. Yeah. There was a, um, Tim's listened to this podcast before, uh, Hardcore History Podcast. So uh, good. Yeah, Dan Carlin's awesome. Um, but he did one a few years back on, uh, what was it called? I can't remember the name of the podcast, but it was basically about like the uh, Spanish-American War, a lot about like Teddy Roosevelt. And so much of the themes of that story are all about like imperialist expansion and stuff like that. And he describes the country at the time. And I think in a lot of ways, it's still applicable. I think he used the term, is like a schizophrenic giant, somebody that like, as a country, we were trying to project a certain image 
but not just that it was also like we wanted to think certain things about ourselves like we had this mm. certain like ethos and uh you know whatever you want to call it like beliefs about ourselves as a nation that we wanted to believe and we want other people to believe but that's at odds with at that point in time it was at odds with you know what the the money aspect of it you know or the 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 things that would drive you to expand and have colonies and things like that like other countries were doing yeah. around the world um yeah and it's sort of i mean it's very similar now in sort of this like we want to think certain things about ourselves as a country but it's at odds with first of all like uh real history <laughs> you know you can yeah. certainly cherry pick and whitewash things um to get it to look like what you want um and it's at odds AKA with the lost cause <laughs> yeah. lost cause you know southern like confederacy history yeah and it's at odds with what we're seeing happen right now um it brings up interesting questions about you know the things that we glorify in our country's past like even the american revolution like would it had been better for people in our country had we not left england <laughs> you know england abolished slavery they certainly had their problems you know <laughs> they were <laughs> they were enslaving economically enslaving half the world for the last hundred years right um, but you know they but they freed slaves a hundred years before we did in our country um so it's things like that mm -hmm. that you know when you hold them up against the alternative maybe what happened and what was that over really was like bad representation in parliament <laughs> you know like when you hold those right. things up against each other um and i'm simplifying it for sure um but i think it's an interesting thought and an interesting question to go off of and even from a christian perspective when you think about like not uh like the bible has things to say about accepting authority to a certain extent like, I don't think Jesus, Jesus never called his followers to like rise up and throw off worldly oppression, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, which is really interesting because especially considering what the early church went through in the first right. hundred years after um, Jesus's life. Um, so it's interesting that as Christians, even the extent to which we glorify those things in our history, um, that maybe we're from a from a Christian perspective, we're not good decisions, um, at least in hindsight. <laughs> um, yeah, I just uh, yeah, I just take a couple steps back, you know, because I I feel like Jesus and then carried on through the apostles and especially through Paul, they never really address issues outside of the local church. So they never really address hmm. um, big um, economic things. They never address slavery. But what Paul does is very interesting, especially in Ephesians, because he does touch on the master-slave relationship. And a lot mm -hmm. of people look at that and say, well, see, Paul didn't even condemn slavery in his day. And the, But the, the, you're misunderstanding Paul if that's what you're thinking. Because if you look at what, if you look at the Roman culture, if he was to stand up and say, you know what, uh, let's, as small, very small Christian minorities that are persecuted in every city that we go, let's rise up and have a protest against Caesar. They would have all been exterminated the next day. Without a question, Rome would have come through and just killed them all. Paul would have been first on the list. No one would have cared. 
But what he instead does is he gives instructions to the local church to say, it doesn't matter what your relationship is outside of this local church. It doesn't matter if you're husband and wife. It doesn't matter if you're male and female. It doesn't matter if you're master slave. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. You are equal when it comes to God. And he goes back to Genesis like we love to do. And he says, all men, all <laughs> women, all people are made in the image of God. And what does that do for us? Well, it set up humanity to dismantle the 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 pillars that racism or that racism and that slavery was built on because it was built on the premise that this person is my property, I can do with them whatever I want. Paul dismantled that by saying, "No, all of you are Jesus Jesus's property. You are the king of glory. That is whose property you are." And mm-hmm. and so he dismantled it without going into the streets and and protesting and rioting but his agent of change was if they see this happening in the local church in your local communities you're going to spread like wildfire and this will eventually take until there are people and different circumstances you look at people like William Wilberforce or Martin Luther King Jr who took those principles that Paul laid down and now they do have an avenue where they can pursue those in a culture that can now realize the the mistakes of the past and can grow out of that and can abolish slavery and and a lot of these other things. So the the Bible was very clear and distinct in how it addressed these issues because it addressed the core of the issue first. And when you address the core, then everything else follows. And that's that's how that's kind of how my view and approach to uh, racism in our day has been. Am I viewing every single person that I come across, especially in the church, but then it goes beyond that, obviously, am I viewing them as what God has already claimed them to be? Am I viewing them as created in his image, as image bearers of God? Or do I sometimes have, oh, well, they might do this because of the color of their skin, or they, they maybe will act this way because of their political affiliation, whatever it is. It doesn't matter. We are called to a such a higher standard. And I think that's really one of my main points that I'm preaching to myself first. And then I, I want to get across in this podcast is the local church should be a haven of love and unity. And if it is, all of these issues would be eradicated very quickly. But like, you, yeah. like you've been saying, Tim and, and Jordan, these other issues have crept in. And it doesn't take too long for some, for some little piece of sin or depravity to get in and take root and then grow. I mean, we've seen it. In, you've, you've talked about it in the history of especially churches in America, Tim. No, absolutely, Rob. I mean, you're told, yeah, you're definitely right. Um, I asked, um, well, I didn't ask. I listened to Tim Mackey recently. Hmm, there he is, the Bible <laughs> oh, Project. In. 45 minutes yeah, you made it. That's a Man, record. nice. Long story short, he says it better than I do, but someone asked him, what, what did an early church meeting look like? And Tim brought that exact thing up. He said it probably looked like this person who was the owner of the house would have these people in, and there would be probably a slave. There'd probably be a merchant passing through. There'd probably be someone who's of high esteem, probably someone who's uneducated, some orphans probably. And then they would sit down and have a meal together, and they would um, break bread, and they would um, sing hymns. 
And he said the people there who were rich and who were masters would probably be so, you know, upset because they've never in their life sat down at the same table with a slave or with an orphan, because in that culture, they were just, like you said, not, not equal to them. And he makes the point of like, that theology is so subversive and you wouldn't pick up on it if you didn't understand what's happening in the story and the context. But what Paul is saying is so for its time, completely, dare I say, progressive <laughs> and revolutionary, where he's saying at the table, we're all the same as far as not as far as our, our ethnicities or our, our, um, our cultures. No, they're obviously different on purpose, but as far as our worth, they're all equally the same. They're worth the same. And so the Bible talks a lot about that kind of stuff. But again, it's funny, man, because, and this could be a whole different topic for a different time, but this really comes down to biblical interpretation because, you know, a couple hundred years ago, it was the slave owners picking out verses out of yeah, for sure. them out. Looks, slaves obey your masters. Well, there it is. Like, there's the proof, yeah. you know? And then even as we go further along too, um, you know, we see when um, when um, desegregation was being fought against, that was a big, a huge part of it was 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 bringing God and bringing the Bible into it. Um, I have another quote that actually talks about that. Where is it? Where is it? Um, hold on, let me see if I can find it. Here, here from Jerry Falwell during a sermon. Um, this is him in regards to why blacks and whites should be separate. Quote, the facilities should be separate. When God has drawn a line of distinctable, we should not attempt to cross that line. I mean, immediately bringing what God thinks or what he thinks God thinks into the situation. You know, And why do people do that? Because we know that if we bring, you have to, and you have to undo so many layers. But if your perspective of the Bible is that is that the English Bible is God's black and white, perfect, infallible word, and all you have to do is read it, and you can understand it perfectly, if that's your baseline, then people start picking out the verses that they want to people who aren't as educated to build their theology. And before you know it, you have this system of, well, God, the Almighty, the one who is in charge of everything, I know what he's saying because I have his word that we both agree is, is infallible and perfect. And so here's what his word says, quote, and that's why blacks are worth less than whites. So the theology gets so easily brought in just this really terrible, I would say white supremacist theology of using the Bible to justify why one race is better than the other. And people build entire theological systems that then become enslaved or become um, slavery systems to people who are minorities or people of color. So I think that's why I get so fired up over this. And you can't say this all in a Facebook post. It's impossible because, because whenever, because what you, when people say, I don't think racism is real, you, you have to undo so many layers to get to the root of why they're saying that. You know, like you said, Rob, no one likes being told that maybe they're wrong. No one likes being told that maybe their worldview that, that they grew up in was purposely whitewashed to make them, their side look really, really good. You know, no one wants to admit that maybe the political pundits that you listen to are purposely twisting things to only paint one picture of, of a huge issue. No one wants to admit that, right? So it's like it, you have to undo so many layers to get to that, that understanding of because of how we view the Bible and how people have twisted that Bible and have ripped it from its context and have ripped it from, you know, the world that Paul and the authors are sitting in, we miss out on so much of the subtle things that are happening because we've been taught to read that book just so black and white. Um, so, you know, that's a whole different discussion for a different time. And we've talked about that extensively on the podcast before. Um, who's the guy we, we had come on uh, that episode? We the scholar. John, he was amazing. John Walton. 
Oh my gosh. If you guys can look, um, if you guys want look back on that episode, we'll try and post it in the show notes, but that was such a great, a great example of how as Western thinkers, we can just miss so much of the, of what the Bible is telling in, in all of its fullness. So I think we have to be so careful when, and this goes for, for anyone, you know, including people who maybe aren't on the same side, we have to be careful when we just invoke the God card or we invoke the Bible card. We have to make sure that we're sitting with what the Bible is really saying. But I suppose that's the million dollar question. I mean, that's what we've been arguing since the beginning of the Reformation pretty much is who has the, the right interpretation. But we still have work to do. We just do. And it, it's really not invoking the God card. It's invoking the, I want to be right, so I'll make the Bible say what I wanted to say card. Yeah, it's really the authority card. Right. I yeah. mean, that's I, that's what so much of it comes down to is the power dynamic of just men wanting to rule over men and who can play the authority card to have the authority over that person. So much of it comes from that. I I've um, I heard yeah, recent. Yeah. I, I forget what book. I think it was a book about the the will of God. Um, but they were, I, and I'll make a cross comparison here. But they were talking about the will of God and that saying that something is oh this is the this is God's will is like a a conversation shut down because, well, how do you know what God's will is? Like, do you, what, did you buy milk today? Was that God's will? Were you, um, you know, just because you prayed about something and you think that we should get married, that that's God's will and there's nothing else to do about it. And it's, it's one of those things that's a shutdown. And I think playing this card is a, is a shutdown for further conversation to say, well, in God's word, God said, and end of story. And it just eliminates conversation and shuts the door where these are the things that we should be discussing. I mean, I, I'm very much of, um, of the belief that the, the purpose of the local church is to love and to encourage and build up everyone equally. Um, but, to do that, you also have to let your um, cultural divides, you have to let your elitism, your theological elitism, and you have to let your pride fall at the door of when you enter. But that doesn't mean you you don't bring in your experiences. You don't bring in, hey, this is, this is how I was affected this week. This is some of the situations I found myself in. And, and those should all be discussion points that are happening in the church so that conversation should be happening. I think that was one of the reasons that the, the early churches thrived. They were under heavy persecution. Like every time they walked out the door, they had to worry about something. Why did they thrive? Because they knew when they got together with the local community, their local body, that they they felt home, they felt safe, and they felt like these are people that listen and that care about the things that are happening in my life. And I, you know, I, I kind of say that with getting goosebumps and chills because I realize that I haven't done that. Yes. Yeah. Um, dude, I I sincerely regret how often I've used I think it's God's will. I regret how much I've said that when I was younger. Cause you just take it. It's so flippant. Oh yeah. I think it's just God's will that, you know, I do this or that. Like, wow. Like I don't, I didn't even know what I was saying, you know, but we throw around these huge terms that have huge implications for people. Um, and I think what scares me right now, where we're at as a culture currently, what is scary to me is seeing how, um, the conservative political party has really hijacked a lot of these biblical ideas and weaponized them to become 
really like a, a weapon to attack a, a whole different people group with. Now, listen, I know people, some of you might be saying, well, Tim, like people on the left do that too. That is partially true, but the reality of the situation is that we have an evangelical conservative problem, not an evangelical liberal problem. They are completely a minority. It's 70% of white evangelicals who voted for the uh, Trump or who voted for Bush. doesn't matter. It's not, it's not just about Trump in this case. So we know from the moral majority that uh, majority that Jerry Falwell started, that was a big push was to get them to think more conservative as far as certain issues. And what scares me now, in fact, I shared this video a couple of days ago about this guy going on this rant, I guess uh, Sean King, who's like a political activist, um, said something about how white Jesus statues are a symbol of white supremacy. And people, of course, like just lost their minds. Right. And honestly, like I understood what he was saying. We talked about this recently, you know, a couple of minutes ago, about the history of using white Jesus to enslave people. But of course, you know, everyone has to freak out. So this one guy who literally on his cover photo has uh, it says America 316 pre-order now. Best thing of his book. America 316. I'm like losing my mind already. Like, wait, you're going to take my sacred scriptures and you're going to put America 316. Okay. I already see where we're heading. So he has like an eight minute rant about how crazy this is and how they're coming for your religious freedom and how he says the only, he said only racists care about the color of Jesus' skin, which I find so funny because he made an eight minute rant about how what Sean King said was so ridiculous. It's like, like you care that someone says a white Jesus shouldn't be a thing. So you care about the color of his skin. Cause if, if you didn't care, why would you make the video? But seeing the video is such a great example. It really sums up for me. And I, I wrote a whole thing about this, what we're seeing with like this evangelical conservative combination. No, I didn't, I'm not saying just Christianity cause it's way more nuanced than that. I'm not saying just conservative. I'm saying when they get together and they kind of merge this like God and freedom and Liberty and you know, whatever, it's really, I think it's powerful completely, but it's also very dangerous because it really twists scripture's theology. It, te- it's, it twists the message of the whole Bible to fit a very specific agenda, which honestly is very unbiblical. I mean, how do you, how do you read Jesus, love your enemies, and then like totally just think like, you know, the mob, you know, the mob mentality, the socialist. It's like, okay, like, okay, well, Jesus says to, make bridges to love these people and to win them over that way. And your mentality is just to bash them all day, but somehow you can justify that. So it it scares me to see the Bible and so much of it just being kind of hijacked for the purpose of really what I would say is political power. I mean, that's ultimately what it is. And listen, if we, if this was a liberal majority, I would probably be saying the same exact thing. Okay. Because they have their own way that many of their own problems as well, but we don't have that issue right now. We have the other side of the issue. We have to deal with it. So it does kind of scare me because the more we, I think for you guys too, the more we grow, the more we study, read about history, read about the Bible, listen to great scholars who are really on the cutting edge of a biblical thought. You're just like, this doesn't line up. This idea of like conservative all the way and God and somehow they're like compatible. Maybe there are some overlaps for sure, but they're not like hand in hand. They're really not. So, you know, it's an interesting time of life because I feel like a lot of evangelical millennials this is kind of the Charlotte broke the camel's back. We're kind of like, nope, like I'm, I'm for rejection mode. And maybe, <laughs> maybe we're swinging too far one way. We'll swing back. But right now it's like, I grew up in this. I want nothing to do with it because it hurts people. And it, it makes people sound ignorant. You know, racism doesn't exist. It's like, okay, like clearly, clearly you haven't read even this much of like history. And if they have, they just call it liberal propaganda. 
So you can't you can't have a discussion with people who think that it's impossible. Yeah, I'm just thinking back. I to said the, a lot there, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to completely ignore it and go back to something Rob said. Um, good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but what you were saying, Rob, about the and Tim, you kind of you jumped on this too about the example of the early church and how they met and and sort of how their uh, influence wasn't to like jump into politics because that wasn't the position they were in to do that. Like they didn't have that option um, and how they affected change at that local level in small communities, um, getting together and just living out what Jesus taught. And I think there's so many aspects of that thinking and, and, uh, that attitude towards all of this stuff that's still really important now, <laughs> you know, and yes, Christians have such a bigger voice now than probably we ever have had in history. Um, I really can't think of a time where, you know, around the entire world, Christians had as much influence and um, voice as we do right now. And so that should be definitely something that we are, you know, speaking out on and stuff, but it has to also be at that small level, you know, that in the community level of totally just how are we loving our brothers and sisters and our brothers and sisters who are different than us in some ways, you know, if it's color of skin or culturally, or um, I saw a great interview with uh, pastor John Gray, I think his name is. Um, Um, mm -hmm. with, With verdict. No, it was a different one actually. But that one's probably good too. But he was, um, he's an African-American pastor. And I believe he pastors a short church in the South somewhere. I want to say like Georgia or South Carolina. Um, And I believe he was in either like California or Oregon or something, somewhere on the West Coast uh, at a church. And he was doing sort of an onstage interview with this pastor. Um, And he was talking a lot about just how church culture can be a lot more inclusive, not by erasing and making, trying to make everything look like the same culture. Um, right. But by including the variety of cultures that exist in a church. And he, I mean, he even said, he even like steered it away from the race thing for a second. Cause he was talking even just, you know, South Carolina is so different in church culture than California is, you know, you're not going to a church in South Carolina is not going to look the same as a church in California regardless of, you know, the majority color of skin that exists in that church. Um, So there's all of these variances and nuances in in culture and background and history that um, exist in varying amounts within the communities that our churches are in. Um, And I think it's so important for our churches to reflect that and to honor that. Um, Yeah not to not to pander to it that was the other thing he mentioned like there's there's a line and it's sort of a fine line between it's not about you know swinging so far and and making it all about that that you're pandering to the other cultures that are in your community but you do have to acknowledge them and you have to include them um to the to the degree to which they exist in your community um Right. Ahead, I think that that's all people are asking for is we just want to see at the table so that we can express where we come from, our culture, and just have it celebrated alongside 
American culture, white culture. I think most people are just asking just to be equal. You know, I don't, I don't know many people who are publicly like, we want to just erase everything that's good about white culture. No, <laughs> I think many of them are saying, okay, you guys have made some really big mistakes and really messed up and you kind of still are. So can you please correct that? And then let us have a seat here so we can discuss our differences and bring both of our, our strengths to the table. That's, I think I, I can't speak on behalf of that, of, of black Americans, you know what I mean? But from the ones that I've talked to, that seems to be the, 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 um, the ask, like, guys, we just want to be seen as like equal and not weird or different because, mm-hmm. you know, we have different cultural things that we bring into the table. Just give us the seat. I'm, I'm going to say something positive about the Catholic church. So yes, <clears throat> where they have uh. the church of the Annunciation, <laughs> um, where the, the shepherds are in the field and, you know, it was announced um, they put up the Church of the Annunciation, where it was, obviously it was announced. And wait, what does Annunciation mean? Annunciation, like it was announced. I just wanted you to say it again. Oh, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> sorry. Are you serious? Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. So they put up the church, but when they did, um, they commissioned a whole bunch of artists. Um, from different cultures and different parts of the world to repaint. Uh, I think it's Raphael who did Madonna and Child, which is like Mary holding the baby Jesus. And they had a whole different, they commissioned artists from all different cultures and different countries to repaint that in their own culture and in their own way. And so there's all of these, hanging on all of the walls are all of these beautiful pictures of the same event of the same thing but recharacterizing their own culture so um there's one from japan where they're wearing kimonos and uh you know and the floral arrangements and there's there's some from uh, some countries in africa and from you know all sorts of european countries but i i thought that captured beautifully what you guys have been saying is this this church thing that we do together this local body it shouldn't be, you know what, let's erase everything that we are and focus on this one thing. But it's, no, bring right. everything that you are and bring That's that right. because if we truly believe that God has built the local church, um, he built it with specific people in mind. He didn't build it with 17 hands. He built it with a head and, or I guess Jesus is the head. So we'll go with he built it with a hand and a foot and a mouth and ears and he built it with all of these body parts to to work beautifully together. If you leave your culture, your experience, your knowledge, and everything at the door, we're losing out on something. Yeah, please leave our pride at the door, but bring everything else. Right. Bring who you are because God has saved you for that purpose. Two quick things, and then we should move on and get ready to wrap up. But um, you're absolutely right, Rob. The funny thing is I can think of specific people who would probably go to that and be like, oh, these other versions aren't like biblically accurate. Like, oh, uh, you know what I'm saying? You know, but they wouldn't acknowledge as if, that. As like, if the, the original was. As, right. <laughs> that's my point. That's exactly yeah. my point is that we're just kind of are led to believe 
and again, it's not like specifically said, but the mm-hmm. underlying assumption is that, yeah, this is like a picture of like what happened. Here's the three wise men, even though they're, it just says wise men, not three, yeah. you know, here's the baby Jesus. He's all cute and cuddly, nice brown hair and very white. So we have that image. So no one would say like, oh, well, that, that's not biblical. That's a, that's a terrible picture of that. It's not even accurate. But when it comes to someone else's culture, you know, a black baby Jesus or a black Jesus with dreadlocks, oh, well, that's just, I mean, that's not accurate at all. So that's a great example of pointing out what we're talking about here is that when we say whitewashing, that's a specific, that's a great example of that, of like what white people in the past have done with our Bible and our Jesus, we just kind of assume is the, is the truth and everyone else's version is just so far out there. Um, Really quick, is it, we're, we're going to be over an hour at this point, right, Rob? One hour and six yeah. minutes. All right, listen, if there's some people still watching, if you're still with us, I, this is cheesy, but just give us a thumbs up in the chat. We're going to wrap up soon, but I want to get, we got a few questions that I, I'd like to get to before we get ready to close. I would feel terrible having people wait an hour and 13 minutes and then just say, <laughs> well, we're not going to touch your questions. And obviously we can keep going on and on and it's easy to do that, but. I do want to get to some of these questions and um, and kind of go from there. So uh, let's see here. Okay. No one's giving us thumbs up. So I guess that they're all dead or our no, live no, stream we, isn't working. We got anymore. a bunch of likes. It's all right. You're good. Oh, we did? Yeah, oh, yeah. I got one. All right. Phew. Sorry. I was getting worried there for a minute. Um, <laughs> all right. So the likes. we got a few questions. And for sake of brevity, we'll try and be pretty brief. Get some, some big picture statements here. We'll do our best. And I apologize if I, if I get long-winded. Some of these are really good, though. Number one, should Christians support the uh, hashtag Black Lives Matter movement and stand behind the beliefs listed on their website? Okay. Can I go first? Yes. My, yeah. Mine will yeah. be really short. Go ahead, Rob. <laughs> I think standing behind any particular movement is a bad move as a Christian. So... We talked about this already. Um, Standing behind the conservative movement, I think, is a really bad move. Standing behind a liberal movement, I think, is a really bad move. Why? Because our identity is where? Our identity is in Christ. So the moment... And I I can support people that are in that movement. I can support things about it. And I certainly support a lot of their efforts and what they're doing. Um, and I support the people that they're trying to help, but I think the moment that I get tied to any particular movement or cause that isn't the gospel, I think I'm in dangerous territory. That's just my opinion. Pro-life movement. Just curious. Uh, I'm playing devil's advocate here, but yes, I, okay. I think it's more politically motivated than it is anything else. (laughs) I would agree, but for a different topic. Okay. (laughs) Yes. Jordan. (laughs) Um, I'm just going to say that it's it's nuanced and there's layers to it because the statement Black Lives Matter it, as a statement, yeah, wholeheartedly, I, For I, sure. I'm behind that, you know, and I agree with that. However, you know, Black Lives Matter is also a social, if not political, which it certainly has elements that are political to it, political movement. And when you look at it that way, and if you're going to say that in order to support that movement, I have to agree with everything that they stand for, um, and in in all the details of everything they stand for, then no, I, I unfortunately I can't support them as a movement. Um, so that's why I think it's it's 
it's honestly, and we talked about this the other day, I brought it up. It's, it's really hard to take a stand on that one way or the other, because it really means two different things. Mm -hmm. Um, It means the social political movement, Black Lives Matter, and it means the the statement that Black Lives Matter, which, and, and certainly the movement. Yeah. There's some really good things about it and there's some good things that they believe and I support those things wholeheartedly, but I'm not going to just take everything that they believe and stand behind it in order to also say that I support the statement Black Lives Matter. Yeah, I totally agree, Jordan. Yeah, I read their, through their stuff on the website now. I mean, for me, the way I would see it is like I agree, Jordan and Rob, in the sense of like the statement Black Lives Matter is essential and all we all know what all lives matter means we will say that you know what they're saying i reject i I reject what that what that um hints at okay so yes fully for black lives matter and for good reason the actual organization you know like i'll put it this way if i was in a march okay and it was sponsored by black lives matter let's say it was i would still march okay because in my opinion my, my job as a christian is just to be like god is for you therefore i am for you yeah despite what maybe you know things in your life that maybe are sinful I, we we all have them every human in the world has those things so i for me it wouldn't really matter a whole lot i'd be like yeah like you guys are putting a march together to fight for for you know um equality and for for black lives i'm there if they said hey you want to be the spokesperson i'd be like you don't want a white christian guy as your spokesperson it's not gonna be a good fit does that right. make sense so yeah that's kind of how i view it so i think um, i mean I'm along with that up- okay Ed. sorry no i was gonna, I was gonna say gonna really say. quick <laughs> dang it dang it i'll be brief i was gonna say that that someone could criticize and say well they stand for uh, you know black trans rights i would say yep like so do I, you know, like, I don't think we should be killing black trans people, uh, like the two ladies who got murdered um, in Philly, you know, does that mean that, is that an agreement of like, as a Christian, am I Christian affirming, you know, if they were in the church, that's a whole different discussion. I'm just saying their life matters. And I'm not going to look at whatever I think or Christian culture thinks in their life is sinful or not, because we could go through everyone's life and find those things. Yeah, That's besides the point. So I stay away from like, well, Tim, like they're queer affirming, like, Okay, like the culture affirms tons of things that maybe doesn't sit well with me. It doesn't stop my commission from Jesus of being for them so they can live a life. That's mm-hmm. the bottom line. So yeah. I just want to make and that very clear. And I think you can also say, too, like you're talking about marching in a march that's uh, sponsored by Black Lives Matter doesn't necessarily mean that you are there supporting that organization. You're just there supporting the same thing that that organization is supporting in some sense. And that's why we were talking about this the other day that I think is really important about how things are all playing out right now. I think it's really good that Black Lives Matter isn't the only organization out there. You know, there's not, it's, this isn't about just one uh, organization or one political uh, something uh, that is saying these things and has some, a leader that everyone's following. You know, there's a lot of different avenues um that are all supporting sort of i mean coming together in a big way to support our you know african-american brothers and sisters whether they're in the church or not and you know it's not about are we agreeing with all of the finer points of every other organization that's also supporting them no 
That's Probably right. not. But those aren't the things that matter right now. What matters is that we are both supporting these people as people. Yeah, um, that's right. <laughs> yeah. That, that, that's exactly what love your neighbor means. It doesn't matter their sexual orientation, their color of their skin, you know, what they've done in the past, how they, if they curse a lot or not, you know, that doesn't matter. The command is to love your neighbor. There's no, there's not one, <laughs> you know, like only, but this, in fact, when the guy questions Jesus, he tells the story of the good Samaritan completely turning it on its head anyway. So mm-hmm. love your neighbor is unequivocal. It doesn't matter, you know, anything else besides that. So that's important. All right. Um, number two, Anthony, I'm going to lump, I'm going to lump them together. This is probably more for me, really. Um, on social media, <laughs> see, is it being divisive to continue to call out Christian brothers and sisters, or is it a tool for education, i.e., a holy rebuke? And slash, is it hypocritical to judge other Christians who judge people and other Christians? So, I'll, I'll answer this first. In my personal opinion. Um, Ultimately, no, I don't think it is, um, you know, divisive to call people out. I stay, I personally stay away from calling out specific people who aren't like the public spotlight who are saying, here's my platform, you know, because that's a different kind of, I think, conversation. But ultimately, I think about 1 Corinthians 5, I always mention this verse. It's my, it's my biggest reason. Um, it's for Paul pretty much says like, judge those inside the church, but not those outside the church, because that's God's job. Ultimately, that's what he says. Yeah. And I think we have it so backwards. Again, this is just another example of how we interpret scripture, where somehow we think that our job is to judge the world and not to really hold the church accountable. So is social media the best way? Like, am I trying, am I personally trying to hold the church accountable? Well, in the sense of like pointing out some of our inconsistencies and, you know, our problems, like, yeah. But as far as like being like, you know, you church, like your church, a church, B church, as far, as far as that goes, no, that's not for me to do. There are pastors that are in charge over those local churches. Um, so I don't find it necessarily divisive. I can understand how I can come across that way, but ultimately for us to love the church also requires us being honest about the church. And the reality is that, and I'm part of the church. So I'm speaking to myself here. We have problems. We do bad things. We do dumb things. And it's important that we continue to call that out. So yeah, I've- that's how I see it. Ahead, I think they're a really great example of almost this exact situation in the Bible. <laughs> and it's when I, you, you were probably thinking of this too, Rob, but Paul calling out Peter in yep. how he was uh, acting around um, the eating with the uncircumcised brothers. Uh, but then when the other people came, the other uh, apostles came from uh, Jerusalem, he basically separated himself and was just not, he was being hypocritical basically in how he was treating these people. And you can so easily replace that description of, you know, the uncircumcised brothers with whoever you want, you know, basically mm-hmm. that's such a general term, basically just meaning not Hebrew. Right. <laughs> um, right. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's like this pastor was, eating and hanging out with these African-American brothers and sisters. But then some people from his home church came by and he was like, no, I don't hang out with them. I'm going to hang out with you guys. <laughs> and Peter yeah. called him out in front of everybody. Paul, like it, it, yes, it wasn't, he didn't take church. him aside. He did not take <laughs> right. him aside. He called him out in front of everyone there and said, you're being a hypocrite and this is not what Jesus taught us. And right. so, no, I don't, I don't think, you know, making statements that you believe to be truth on, social media, I don't think it's about being divisive. Um, I mean, I, yeah, certainly your motivations can be off, you know, in certain things that are said for sure. But I think that when you are honestly just 
supporting truth as you know you see the bible teach it then it's not about being divisive it's about um supporting truth mm -hmm. that's exactly right i mean that letter was read to the whole church <laughs> so it wouldn't it be like a big secret yeah. you know like oh my gosh peter and paul did you guys it's, it's it was read out loud and that also includes by the way when that rebuke comes to you or to me being humble to also receive it so it's not just a, a one-way street in fact i had someone um, text me privately and kind of gave me some advice of like how I was coming across. I, I just had to receive it and be like, okay, I got to trust that if this is a perception, I have to address that, you know? So it's important to realize that this isn't just a one, it should not be for people who are outspoken about things that it's only a one way street, but I agree with you, Jordan. That was really well said. So, okay. Um, number four, and then there's one more. We'll be all done. When it comes to racial injustice, what kind of leadership should we be following? Netflix documentaries, non-Christian social activists, black Christian leaders, et cetera. Jesus. Um, Next question. First, <laughs> <laughs> just read the Bible. It's right there in black and white. Um, my personal opinion, um, like I said, that book, The Color of Compromise is a great start. Jamar Tazeby, he's a recognized author. I personally think that the more books you can read by people who are like, you know, experts in their field, whether it's um, people who are, you know, um, professors in history, et cetera. I think that will really help um, get a bigger picture because it's more, they're just more well thought out. They're more articulate. They have sources to back it up. There are definitely great documentaries. Every documentary, even 13th, which has, ha which has its problems, even though it's an amazing documentary, has a certain bias. There's just no way around that. So I think that there are some great documentaries to watch. I think 13th is definitely worth watching. A couple of the stats are a little wonky and they've, it's been well cited. It's not just me making this up. You can find it out. But I think that definitely authors, um, including black authors who are really in this world and have can really articulate the positions that they're talking about, and as well as a good documentary is, is just a great place to start. And yeah. uh, and to that point, I mean, even, even the apostle, even Paul said, if somebody gets up and speaks a sermon, speaks a message from the scriptures, Go and search the scriptures yourself and make sure that what they're saying is sound and valid and of good report. Make sure the people that you're listening to are of good report. So if if that applies to messages that we're hearing inside of the church, it should apply to messages outside the church too. And there's for some people, I'll, I'll caution it with this, for some people it is a danger because they're more susceptible to certain things and they can't they can't process certain things. But for the most part, I would say listen to all sides of every argument and then compare it. How did how did the Apostle Paul deal with this issue? Because guess what? He probably dealt with it in some manner in his epistles. How did the Lord Jesus deal with this issue? Because he probably dealt with it in some abstract, enigmatic way, but he dealt with it in either the Sermon on the Mount or one of his teachings and always just compare it. And just keep bringing it back. But I, I totally agree, Tim. I, I think that we should be listening to those that have dedicated their lives to doing this research and um, having their expertise in their field. I think there's a lot to be, a lot to be gained. That's exactly correct. And I, I would say honestly, like 
you know, a, a typical pastor probably isn't the best resource for this topic. Maybe on a spiritual side, they can be. Yeah. But as far as like the nitty gritty, like being able to show the systemic issue we have, being able to show how racism has all kinds of different effects, redlining, yeah. gentrification, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, financial poverty, hidden, things that we just don't have eyes for. There are great resources, great books that you can look up that are just, again, written by people who have spent, like you said, Rob, their life understanding the brevity of this issue so right. i think a book audiobook is for me i love audiobooks i have an audible account it's great it's like 15 bucks a month you get a new book every month any book that you want it's well worth it so yeah um last one i wanted to hit this is kind of unique i, I can speak to this one i'm not sure if you guys could uh, i'd love to hear you talk about inclusion in music how can we celebrate black worship teams music etc or at least ways that we can start doing so this, honestly, um, is something I thought about a lot because the world I'm in is, we call it CCM music, which pretty much means white music. <laughs> it's Phil Wickham, <laughs> it's Hillsong Worship, et cetera. Um, and it's, it's really popular. And there are a lot of great gospel artists. Some have crossed over into mainstream, which really means white culture, um, like Kirk Franklin's Made the Cross, Israel Hooten. Um, but there's a lot of other artists who just aren't that like well-known, who are actually not only like really talented, but just super like, write really great stuff one group i've seen that i really think has done a great job of this is elevation worship actually their new album has a lot of um gospel artists on the record a lot of the songs are more gospel and kind of you can tell they're kind of drawing on different sources so i think that this is a conversation that is really big really nuanced not every church can pull off what it takes to actually do i mean gospel music technically is so much more complicated than most of the ccm songs which is I think one reason why a lot of Hillsong and, you know, um, Bethel stuff is so much more widespread because anyone can learn the four chords or the drum beat. But some of these gospel tunes are just like, they're really next level. They're, they have guys on these albums who are just top notch. But um, I do agree that it's something that we should be aware of. Like we need to be aware that there's, that there's a whole subculture of amazing Christian music of songs that worship and have great theological implications for us that we should be, I think, bringing to the table, giving them a seat and saying, we want to learn from you, like teach us, you know, because your ways are truly amazing. So that's kind of my big picture answer to that very complicated question. <laughs> yeah. So I'll just say kind of, I mean, I feel like kind of what I was saying earlier about the diversity of cultures in your community, um, that kind of trickles down into this. Um, yeah. If there's people in your church that, you know, have other cultures that involve music why is that not a part of your Sunday morning? Yep. You know, or why, at least, totally. I mean, making steps, like you said, there's the, the practicality to it obviously is, is an issue in a lot of places, but you know, you have those people up there at least. hundred <laughs> percent. Yep. No, I totally agree. So great guys. Well, that was quite the topic. And I feel like I, we just scratched the surface. I had so many more quotes to bring into the, to the fray to knock people out with, but <laughs> both wait till next time. Uh, we are going to be doing this again next week. We're going to have a special guest, Pastor Dorian Morgan. He's a great friend of mine. He is um, a black pastor, a local. He also is a lawyer who's in the court system. And he has a lot of firsthand experience on just all kinds of things. And our goal next week is to get him on and just let him talk and just ask questions and just for us to listen. So we are excited for that. Probably same time next Wednesday, 9 o'clock. And then we're going to do one more episode and we're still working on some of the details, but if we can pull it off, I think it'd be really good. So 
Um, thanks everyone so much for tuning in. If you like this episode, you can feel free to share it on your Facebook page. We're going to try and do our best to have the audio up of this um, on our podcast, like um, iTunes page in a few days, hopefully. It's kind of difficult to get this stuff up there and we're a little backlogged, but I think this conversation should be up there as soon as possible. So thanks again, guys, for listening. Any feedback, shoot us a message and we will see you guys next time. Thanks for checking out the Coffee Theology in Jesus podcast. You can always drop us a line on Facebook or through our email, podcast at coffeetheologyandjesus.com, as we love to hear from our listeners. Until next time, drink coffee, discuss theology, and love Jesus.